Well, we're still over in the book of First Timothy. Last week we got all of verse 1 done. And we'll uh, keep on going with a little bit more here in this one. These are important things for us. These are qualifications of leaders. And uh, people, as we looked here, the area of uh, bishop in the Greek is actually an overseer. One who is overseeing or basically one who's overseeing other people. And that could be one who's overseeing five people, could be one who's overseeing ten people, could be one who's overseeing fifty people, whatever it might be. But God has given us some folks to oversee. And so he's going to give us some qualifications here because out of the group of people that are born again that are in the church, he's telling Timothy, these are the folks you need to pick. And he said the first thing we looked at last time, if a man desires the position of a bishop. So we spent a lot of time looking at the idea of desiring. That, number one, you have to desire it. It's not going to come to you if you don't desire it, and you need to make sure that you keep building up that desire because there's going to be a lot of things that come against you. Try and make that desire not happen. Try and make you not want to desire it as much. Use the example of those guys that are out there going for the Olympics, guys and gals that are training, getting themselves ready. They, um, a lot of people start out getting themselves ready for that, but not everybody has a desire to keep it going. Keep moving on in that. The, uh, the getting up early, the hours of training, the pain that's involved, the uh, restrictions on diet, social life, all that sort of stuff. Not everybody is, is apt to do it. And some of them may stick with it for a couple of years, but after a while, if their desire does not continue, they will stop. And so he says, make sure that you desire. Find the people that desire this. Sometimes we have an, uh, uh, an unction to put people in a position because they have the talent, but uh, we have to talk them into it. And that's not a good place to be. We don't want to talk people into it. They need to desire it. So he who desires a good work or desires a position of a bishop, bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, if you go through the church, how many blameless people do you find? <laughs> so this right here, you might say, well, we really can't put anybody in there because uh, there's no one out there who's blameless. We've all missed it somewhere, but that's not really what it's going over here. It actually, in the literal part, means not arrested, inculpable, blameless, and unrebukable. Now, that part here of not arrested, how many of you all know people that are in a position of overseers who have been arrested? They've been arrested, uh, served their time, got born again, maybe in jail, came on out and got involved in ministry and started doing some things. And so that, uh, you know, the guy was on them. I don't know that that's exactly what we're talking about here. Not necessarily be uh, not arrested. But it says here must be blameless, and this word is only used a few times in the Bible. And it's not talking about perfection. It's not talking about sinless or anything of, of that nature. I put a couple of translations in here just so that you could all see it. The New Century Version has an elder must not give people a reason to criticize him. Don't give people a reason to criticize. Now, understand, there are going to be people who are going to criticize you. But don't give them a reason. Just let them do it on their own. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people who criticize folks for unsubstantiated things or things they make up or things they think or so. Uh, just don't give them a reason to, is all he is saying. And that much is in your control. You can't stop people from criticizing you, but you can't stop yourself from giving them a reason to. That's how the New Century Version put it this way. The Message Bible puts it well thought of. The New Living Translation. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. The Amplified must give no grounds for accusation, but must be above reproach. Don't give the grounds for the thing. There will always be people who bring unsubstantiated accusations, but live your life so they can't stick to you. Now, you remember Stephen lived his life in a blameless way, as this is talking about, but they still brought accusations against him, but they couldn't get two people to agree with each other. They, they had people who brought things against Jesus, and Jesus just sat there and was quiet. But none of them again agreed with each other. And the uh, person overseeing even said, Don't you, aren't you going to defend yourself? But he went as a lamb to the slaughter, silent. Constant ac accusations can wear down your desire. Just understand this. Constant accusations can wear down your desire, even ones without merit. If people are continually coming after you and accusing you, that can wear you down. How many have ever wanted to do something, but after you got involved doing it, found out everybody was always pointing the finger at you and telling you how good you were or not good you were? Or, or all this, And that can wear you out. That's why this first thing he started off with was, 
desire. You've got to feed that desire. You've got to build up that desire because people are not going to help you out in this. People will tend to wear you down. They're going to pick on you. They're going to find fault with you. Now, understand, you're going to be picked on, found fault with by people who are worse off than you are. <laughs> they don't pick on themselves. They don't straighten up themselves. They just want to straighten up you. And you have to understand that's what people are going to do. And so you have to develop in yourself a, a bit of an attitude that I cannot care what people think. You listen to it. If there's some, some substance to it, you can make adjustments, you can make changes, but you have to develop yourself, you have to develop a, a thicker skin to where if people are all messing with you, saying all kinds of manner of evil about you, it just, no, no matter. Because what's going to happen is when you get into this overseeing position, whatever it is, not just pastors we're talking about, but you get into a position where you're overseeing other people, you've got to care for those people even though those people may pick on you. Case in point would be Moses. <laughs> he had to care for them people even though they were messing with him, even though they had uh, less than flattering things to say about him at times. But he still gave everything he had for them. Paul gave everything he had for people even though some of them came after him. Jesus gave everything he had for people even though some of the ones that he prayed for to be healed were there at the cross cr crying out for him to be crucified. You're going to have people that you've helped and will continue to help say all manner of evil things. And you have to develop in yourself a skin that says, I won't care. I'm not, it's not going to bother me what they say because I don't serve them. I serve God by serving them. It's a huge difference. And Satan is all the time, the enemy is all the time trying to get you to serve other people. If you are a servant mentality person, he is going to try and get you to serve other people. Because once he gets you to make that switch and you serve other people, now he's got you. Not immediately. But he will get you worn down. Because you will not serve other people if other people continually pick on you. But if you serve God by serving other people, then it doesn't matter what they say. So he's going to try and get that focus off. You love, other, you love God by loving other people. We don't love other people because they're loving to us. Because how you may, that may you know, people are not always loving to you. People are very fickle. They're with you today, they're against you tomorrow, and then they're back with you a day after that. And now not everybody is like that. But too many are. <laughs> too many are. And these are the, generally the people that you are going to be serving God by serving them. You're trying to get them out of that lifestyle. You're trying to help them and get them to a point where they aren't that way all the time. And in order to get them to that place, you're going to take some abuse. They're going to beat on you. They're going to falsely accuse you. They're going to, and you just got to smile and go on and say, Father God, what else can I do to get these people out of this, this mentality? What else can I do to help these folks to get out of this? And thank God for the people that are not like that that are in your life. Because you'll go back to them and just kind of, you know, whew, boy, it's tough out there. How you been doing? <laughs> and you get together with them and you just kind of help each other out and encourage each other. And then you get back on out there and you keep on going in the fight. But you always keep your focus on the fact that I'm serving God by serving the other people. But it'll wear down your desire. And if, you're, and if it wears down your desire and you don't want to, you're not going to go through the training and you're not going to be ready for the events. And when they come, so to speak, as the Olympic bit uh, goes through. Constant accusations can wear down your desire, even ones without merit. Don't think that they won't. The ones without merit tend to wear you down even more than the ones that do have merit. Because you're always uh, seem to be defending yourself or um, these things are just coming, constantly coming at you, just, just kind of nagging at you. So be strong in that area. Now he goes on and he says that they need to be a husband of one wife. And this is a point of a lot of confusion for, for folks because we think that immediately this limits the position of bishop or overseer to a man. And that is one interpretation that you can get. I won't, I won't uh, doubt that. That is one interpretation that you can have. Uh, but actually the Greek here, and if you go into the weast, he'll put it in there right, right into the translation. The Greek is actually one wife uh, and I put it in here. This is this is. I don't like this this aspect of looking at, it, but you can look at it this way: one wife at a time. 
Now, the reason I don't like looking at that, you can say, you know, let's get rid of this one. Let's go get another one. <laughs> and that's not really the meaning of the scripture. So uh, uh, another way that you can look at this is only, or only had one wife. Basically, it's a one-woman man is what you're looking for. Now, does this limit the position to only men? If this, and Tony Cook was wonderful in this when he was ministering this. I, I, I don't remember when he did it, but I remember him getting in this because the point was, I hadn't thought of this point until he brought it up. If husband of one wife limits this position to a man, if that verse actually does that, then does it not also limit the position to only married men? Is that not true? So you, if you're, this position of overseer cannot be inhabited by a single man if we interpret it that way. So if the person is going to say they can, they can only be a man, are they also willing to say they have to be a married man? Because if you're going to hold to that interpretation, that's where you have to go. Now, the, the time, you have to always interpret this in the time. In the time, women could not marry more than one man. So you didn't have to put that out there for a woman. But you did for a man because it was legal for a man to have as many wives as he wanted. But a woman could only have one husband. <laughs> so that's, um, he did not have to say, woman, you can only have one husband at a time because it was not legal for it to be anything else. And there was not that issue. The only one that was an issue was a man who had more than one wife. So I kind of like that better. But again, I don't look at this verse as qualifying pastors. I look at this verse as qualifying overseers. And in the church, you have a lot of overseers. So I, I broaden that up a little bit, mostly because of, the, of the, the word of the Greek. The word of the Greek is not bishop as we think of bishop. The word in, the, in there is one who oversees. So as one who would oversee, and we have in our church, you know, our church isn't large, but we have a lot of people who oversee other things. And other, oversee other people. And in a larger church, as Timothy would have, he was a pastor over the church of Ephesus. There were a lot of different overseers of, of people in, in the city. I don't know that they had that opened up to, to more than, uh, to women and men, but there did seem to be some Bible examples of women who were in positions of such. I uh, can't say necessarily pastors. I don't really know. I know that there's been some inferences to it, that maybe this one was a pastor here, but I don't know that to be the case, but when I look at this, I'm, I'm not looking at this uh, myself. Anyway, my interpretation of this is husband of one wife does not, does not limit this to a man any more than it would a single man. And you know, in, in the Catholic Church, you can't be an overseer unless you are single. <laughs> you have to be single in, in that one. So those are are some of the things that we look at here as far as the condition of the leader. But now we go on to some conduct. In verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. Now the word temperate here, a lot of these words are very similar. And sometimes if you have a different translation, they'll take sober and put temperate in there and take temperate and put sober in there. And so they'll just really mess with you. But I, I'm just using the wording that's in the New King James, which is sometimes different from the wording that's in the King James. But I'm just using the wording that's in the New King James, which again, it's not the Greek, it's just what's in the New King James. But I put there the Greek words for you if you want to go look them up. We're not really going to mess with the Greek words themselves, except for their meaning. But here the word temperate means sober, circumspect, or vigilant. It means free from excess, well-balanced, and self-control. What it's talking about here when it uses this word that we translate in the New King James as temperate, it is looking for someone who is, does not have excesses in their personality. They are well-balanced and they are self-controlled. An example of someone who is not free from excess, how many of you know people that are overly emotional? They do not qualify. Because they are not free from excess. If a person is overly emotional, they are not temperate. They are not even keeled. Things can throw them off. And when their emotions go up, their judgment over those they oversee changes. And that's why he's, he's not saying that they're bad people. He's just saying you can't put them in a position of overseer 
because their emotions or outside forces or things inside their personality, they are given to excesses. When you are given to excesses in a personality type of a way, then you can, you're not as well balanced. Think, how many of y'all know people who have, uh, can have really, really good days and really, really bad days? Don't pick those people is what he's saying. What you want is people who, if you meet them on Monday and you saw them on Friday, they're pretty much the same person. That's what you want. That's the kind of person that you are looking for. When you're looking for an overseer, you want someone who is the same on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every time you meet them, they're pretty much the same. They're not super high. They're not super low. If you are going to be an overseer, you cannot be swayed by these kinds of things is what this word is talking about. Free from excesses, well-balanced, self-controlled. They should be able to go into a situation and not give in to anything that pulls them because they are of a self-controlled nature. And other people in a situation like peer pressure are not going to pull them into doing something that they would not otherwise do. These are the kinds of people that you want in this kind of position. How many of y'all know this doesn't describe everybody? Just this one word does not describe everybody. This eliminates a whole lot of folks from it, but this is a good thing to get to. And I think if we eliminate the aspect that we're looking for a man here, and it can be a man or a woman who is in this position. I'm not saying pastor, I'm saying overseer. I'm saying someone who can oversee other people. If you're looking for that, it's women, men, anyone can get to this place in God. That what God is saying is this is a quality I want to have. I need to have this in the people that are going to be overseers. I need to have this in people that I am going to trust with the care of those who are younger in the faith. And I need these qualities. If God needs those qualities in them, doesn't he also want it in all of us? And these are things to strive for. And if we are of the mindset that says, well, I'm just not that way. Then have we just given in to something? Well, I just can't be that way. I'm just, I just, you know, I, I, I can't do this and I can't do that and, and, and whatever it might be. Well, but don't, don't give in to that. You don't have to be that. You can be, uh, you can be more uh, well-balanced, self-controlled, free from it. You can be that way. Now, some people are more born to that. You know, some people, they almost seems like they come out that way. And, and other people are, are, are self-taught. They kind of teach themselves these kind of things. But either way, this is a good place to get to, whether it's natural or whether it's not. Because you know, when we come out, we all have some natural tendencies. Some of those natural tendencies are good. Not all those natural tendencies are bad. Some of the natural tendencies that we have are good natural tendencies, and they give us pluses in certain things. That's just one of those, one of those things that's there. And, uh, but this is a good thing. I mean, you could spend a whole lot of time on this word, even though this word is not used a whole lot in the New Testament. But this is something that we need to, to have. Free from excesses. Well balanced. Now, when you think of somebody who's free from excesses, you know, what, well, that show we all like, uh, you know I like, and we've talked about it here a number of times, uh, Monk. Monk is not a person who is free from excesses. Now, he's not excessively emotional but he's not free from excesses. He would not make a good overseer. <laughs> How many of y'all know, you see Monk, in, he's, he, you don't put anybody underneath him. <laughs> I mean, poor Natalie, the little sidekick that he's got there. I mean, that poor gal, what she puts up with. I think she's very temperate. <laughs> she's very even keeled. I, I think I'd put somebody underneath her. I wouldn't put anything underneath Monk. He, he, wouldn't, be, uh, he wouldn't be up in, in that for us. He just, but he kind of came out, according to the storyline, he kind of came out that way. We got, sometimes you go back and you see some of the things he did when he was a kid and, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but anyway, free from excesses, well-balanced and self-controlled. These are the kinds of folks that you want. They don't have to be unemotional people. They have to be people whose emotions are separate from their behavior. That's the, that's the main thing. I can have emotions, but my emotions don't influence the decisions I make of my behavior. My emotions might be high, but that doesn't mean I'm going to decide to be any different today. 
I'm not going to get uptight with people because I am this way. How many have ever had a boss who says, you know, get away from me, I've had a bad day. I've had a bad morning. That's not a good overseer. How many of y'all know? That's not a good, they're not a good overseer for you. <laughs> They've got some problems in, in there. What, why? You know, don't get near me, I haven't had my coffee. Yeah, stuff like that. No, you want people, and we need to get to that place where we don't need outside things to come in to change us, to make us into an overseer. I can get rid of those things. How I am in the morning is how I am at night. Maybe you're a little more tired at nighttime, but (laughs) excesses don't come in and and help you out with that. So then we go on to the next verse here, sober-minded, which in some translations is temperate. (laughs) This is why it's so, so fun to go through this verse. And even in some other translations to go through it. But the uh, Greek word here means safe, sound in mind, self-controlled, moderate as to opinion or passion. Moderate as to opinion or passion. Now, what we're talking about here is this. You can be passionate about certain things that you pick up on, but you are able to still be self-controlled and not get quarrelsome. Not get angry. Not get irate because they don't agree with you. If that is describes you, if you're a person who you're passionate about certain things and when you get onto that, you can, you can kind of alter that and you can kind of get um, a little flustered in your conversation. Well, <laughs> no, don't do that. You can be passionate. How many of y'all know Paul was passionate about the things that, that he was, but he didn't get quarrels. Now, he did a few times and he learned, nope, we're not going to get quarrelsome. This is not going to help us. I, I got to come in with the power of God. And he changed some of that. Jesus was passionate about some of those things. He was so passionate, he came into the courtyard and saw all of them messing with the house of God and started overturning tables. That's some passion. He was letting some of that out, wasn't he? And, and I'm not saying you can't ever do that. But yeah, we'll, we'll go into the area of sports fans in this one because I'll tell you, that's just one of the places you can get it. You can get some sports fans that are so passionate about their team that you can't talk sense with them. And that's what we're talking about. That's the, that's the picture child right there. That they get so blinded by their passion for their team that you can't, they'll, they'll, they'll go past all the other things just to uh, put down your team or other stuff like that. Uh, here's an example we had in sport. I did not watch all of the Eagles game on Sunday night. I did end up watching a little bit of it just because, um, you know, I thought I watched a little bit of it. It seemed like the game was close, and so I turned it on, but I watched a little bit of it. I missed the halftime show. Did anybody catch the halftime show of the Eagles game? Was anybody else not watching it either? <laughs> I heard something that went on during the halftime show, and that Bob Costas got up there and got on his soapbox and started talking about how if guns were not allowed, that the linebacker from Kansas City and his girlfriend would still be alive. And, you know, that's absolutely ridiculous that, uh, you know, the guy's just an idiot. And if he was here, I'd tell him so. Because that is an idiot thing to do. He had a passion that guns ought to be eliminated and use an absolutely stupid thing. If actually, from what I heard him talking about, they were talking about this linebacker. I think it was a linebacker. And a guy, player from Kansas City. A neat story. I mean, it was a walk-on and, and it became a starter in there. But they, they actually kind of made you feel sorry for the guy that, you know, he had a rough life or whatever it was. He was a murderer. He murdered his girlfriend. Also didn't marry her. Had a baby with her, didn't marry her. Nine times he shot her. I don't, and then I guess he saved the last bullet, bullet, probably ten shots inside the magazine. Probably saved the last one from when he got over there and to, to uh, do himself in. But, you know, they're blaming the guns. It's not a gun problem. It's not, if he didn't have a gun, he probably, there was a knife in the house, I'm sure. He probably would have used that. They're not out there talking about the people who poisoned their spouses. Did the poison cause them to do it? I heard uh, one person they were talking about it says that actually wasn't Bob's fault. We can't really blame Bob Costas in this situation for going off like that. It's the microphone's fault. <laughs> See, if the microphone hadn't been on, you wouldn't heard him. if the microphone hadn't been on, if they didn't have the microphone, no one would have heard him. We wouldn't have this problem at all. It's not Bob's fault. It's the microphone's. That's the same argument. But you see, that Bob get up there. He has a passion about something and becomes blinded to, to all of the things. You know, there's a whole lot of other people in the country who own guns, and uh, they, don't, <laughs> they don't have a problem. I saw the stats on this, and there's some 30-some-odd states in the United States 
that have um, uh, the capacity that you can carry a concealed weapon. They have gun laws that permit you to carry a concealed weapon. And if you look at the stats in those states, it is remarkable that where the good guys are armed, the crime is down. The states with the toughest gun control out there, I believe it's California and New York, have the highest crime rates because the good guys aren't armed. In the states where the good guys are armed, the bad guys are a little afraid about going up against people. And so, you know, he, he's, he's going after it because he has a passion that the, the, the folks there, they want guns out of the way. Our founding fathers said, you know what? You need to have guns. And you know what the purpose of it was? It was not to defend you against bad guys. It was to defend you against an over-abusive government. That's why. Because they were under an over-abusive government and uh, they were not allowed to have guns. And they made revolution hard. And they wanted to make sure that the people of this country were armed, that if the government ever became overly abusive, they could rise up. And that's why we have guns. But that's why you be careful of these people who want to take them away. Why do you think they want to take them away? You think they're concerned about the people that are dying? <laughs> I don't think so. But anyway, self-controlled, moderate as to opinion or passion, discreet, sober, temperate. You need to be a person that's someone of a a different opinion can talk to you without you getting so irate that you can't listen to them anymore. That's what you need to do. If you're going to be an overseer, you need to be able to listen to people who have warped mentalities and try to help them and try to bring them about to a, to a, 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 a more knowledgeable position. And that's not easy to do. Not everybody can do it because some people, as soon as they hear certain phrases and certain things, they just go off. But if you're going to be an overseer, that can't be you. you got to hold your tongue. you got to be temperate. That means even if people come in and they start cussing out God and Jesus, what are you going to do? Well, except for this area, I, I would get overly mo. No, no. God wants to help them. So you sit back there and you, and you can listen. You don't get overly emotional on the thing. And you start talking to them about it. Now, why do you have so much anger against God? And you begin to find out what has caused this. Eventually, you'll find out that maybe somebody died that they were believing for and praying for. And you can begin to talk to them and find out what are the things that are going on inside. If you're going to be an overseer, if you're going to be someone who's going to help these people out, you've got to be able to get to the bottom of it. And if you get overly passionate and you can't talk and you can't listen, you're not going to be able to do this. So you need to become, as it talks about here, Safe in mind, self-controlled, moderate as to opinion or passion, discreet, sober, temperate. Aristotle wrote about this word in this way. He said of the saffron man or the sober-minded man, one who desired what he should as he should and when he should. <laughs> nice little use of words there. Sober-minded. Next one was of good behavior. That's kind of general. What's a, what's a good behavior? Because everybody has a little different idea of what good behavior is. The word there is cosmos. It's only used a couple of times. Orderly or modest. It's conduct that is orderly, respectable, or honorable. Now, one person writes, it describes one. I could tell you who it was, but I don't even know who they are. It describes one who disciplines themselves and who may thus be regarded as generally moral and respectable. One who disciplines themselves and who may thus be regarded as genuinely moral or respectable. People who are immoral and not respectable are people who have no self-discipline. Why did you say it that way? Why did you do that? Well, I felt like it. Well, I wanted to. <laughs> That's a person who has no self-discipline. You need to be able to go into an environment and your self-discipline kicks in and says, you know what? I need not do that right now. Maybe I have the freedom to do that but that's not a thing that I should do right now. And so you have that ability to, to do that. You have good behavior. You can walk into a situation and people can trust you that you're going to uh, do all right. You're going to be, be well-behaved. You'll be orderly. You'll be modest. It means to have one's life in order, to be virtuous. The concept always contains the idea of control of the body and its movements and impulses. It means when you, no matter where it is that you go to, you are not going to be compelled to do something that goes against what you believe. 
or goes against what you feel that God has directed you to do. That would be an overseer. That would be one who would, who would do that. You walk into a, a, a person who's this way, you can walk into a bar and not feel compelled to have to, to drink. They could walk into situations where people are acting crazy and not feel like they have to blend in and act that way. The word is used only one other time. And that's in 1 Timothy. We already covered it too in verse 9 to describe a woman's clothing as modest. It's the only other time that this word is used. I actually find a number of words in the Greek that are only used in Timothy. That's <laughs> not the only one. Hospitable. Hospitable. A fondness for and a natural desire to serve the needs of others. Now, we think of hospital, hospitable, we think of, you know, having people over, and then we begin to disqualify us. Well, I don't have a big enough place. Well, I don't have enough parking. Well, you know, if everybody came over, my neighbors would complain. And we have all these kind of things that we're talking about as far as hospitality. And certainly having people over your house can be an aspect of this, but it's not the only aspect of it. And we've, we all know, you know, there's, there's some people, in, even in the church, it seems like lots of people go over their house and there's other people that don't happen to all that often. But that's not real, all that this word is talking about. There are other aspects of hospitality here. But when we think of hospitality, that's kind of where our mind goes, isn't it? It means a fondness for, natural desire to serve the needs of others. It is talking more of a servant mentality, an idea that if something needs to be done, you step up and you, I'm, I'm going to be the one to uh, take care of that. I'm going to be the one to jump in there and to be the hospitable one. If you go into a restaurant, a good waitress, a good waiter is one who is observing the needs of the table and taking care of them. Now, it depends on the, you know, your table. It depends on where you go and what kind of thing. If you go out with me, the number one need that I have at a table is that you, know, you better be refilling my drink because I'll, I'll down that thing faster than you can <laughs> go back and get another one. I, I always have fun with the... I just kind of watch. I don't try and get upset with them all that. But sometimes I watch. And I'll, I remember a few times we've been out, I think over at TGI Fridays or different places like that. And after they filled up my glass three times in a matter of 10 minutes... They, uh, they usually go over and they fill up a pitcher. And they put the pitcher right there. <laughs> said, maybe this will hold you for a little while. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, I don't have to keep calling them over to, to get something. And um, I told you the story before. Uh, my favorite Mexican restaurant. I don't know the name of it. I know about where it is. And uh, my, I tell my daughter and son, they go up there in New York all the time. And I tell them, you know, it's, it's over here. You know, it's right over. And I tell them exactly where it is. And if I go up to New York again, I'm going there. Because, oh, man, do I like it. And I don't care what I get from the menu. I just want to sit down at the table and get their salsa and chips. Because they had the best salsa I ever tasted in my life. Oh, man, that was good salsa. I like that salsa so much. And if you've ever been out to, at a nice restaurant with me, you know that when any of the places that serve bread, and, and I will consume more bread than most other people at the table. Maybe in a couple of lar- you, got, you like bread too, don't you? I can tell. We're a mindset, same mindset. I love bread. I like good bread. I can eat lots of good bread and drink lots of stuff before the meal ever gets there. My wife many, many times will say, you're not going to be able to eat your dinner. And I always am. I finish my plate up and other people don't. But, uh, but uh, they, they just, oh, they had this, this sauce. It was a different color. It's almost purple. Never seen a sauce of that color. It had lime in it. Doggone, lime is good in salsa. I didn't know that before. I didn't know it until then, but lime is good in salsa. I was enjoying the salsa and chips so much. And we were out with Jeff and Chris. They were up there with us in New York. And, and um, uh, my daughter and her husband and my wife and Christian. And I don't know who else was out there with it. But uh, we had a number of people all at the table. I ate more salsa and chips than everybody else at the table. And they were all getting embarrassed because I kept flagging the waiter over. <laughs> come on, we need some more. Can we get some more chips? They're so good. I asked every time we come, oh, these things are so good. Oh, man, we really like these things. And after like the sixth or seventh time, we flagged him over. And it was that many times. It was six or seven times. We flagged them over. They hadn't got the meal here yet. And they were all picking on me. He says, you're, you're not supposed to eat that many. He said, they haven't got the meal here yet. This is what this is for. This is to entertain us until the meal gets here. If they want me to stop, bring the meal. That's my, my opinion. And so he, they said, he's not even looking at you anymore. See that? He's not looking at you anymore. He does not want to see that you're... But I would not be denied. 
I would not be denied. But you know, you get into those situations and a, a waiter and a waitress, you, they want to observe the needs of the table. And a good waiter and a good waitress observes and desires to take care of those needs. How many have ever been with a waiter or waitress who does not care about the needs of the table? Only cares about their needs and are, are very, uh, have an attitude um, that you know you are inconveniencing me and so forth. And, uh, and, you know, that kind of, it comes across. That's not a hospitable person. You don't know how many people come over to the house, but that's not a hospitable person. That is not a person who is looking at the needs of the table and there to serve it. And so this is what it's talking about. And so this is really easy to do because all you do is you look at the people that are out there in the group and who wants to take care of people? Who wants to serve the needs of the people? And who is waiting to be served? He says, your overseers, take it from the group of people that are out there trying to serve other folks. That's what he's telling them. Now, doesn't that make perfect sense? If you're going to be an overseer over people, you need to serve them. Isn't it best to take them out of the people that are naturally inclined in a situation to serve people? So this is, the, this is the thing that God likes. Now, Jesus himself would teach this. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of all, of all what should you do? Serve everybody. Become the servant of all. The one who is the greatest servant is the greatest in the kingdom. Falls right in line with Jesus' teaching. Find those that are hospitable. A fondness for and a natural desire to serve the needs of others. Don't think that just because you don't have parking or you don't have the facilities to have people over at your house that you are precluded from being hospitable. You are not. You can still be a hospitable person. Look to find ways that you can serve other people. Able to teach. Able or competent to teach is really what it should, should be. Sometimes we look at, well, how can I be able to teach if no one ever lets me teach? Right. Well, you, you don't just start teaching by getting up in front of people and start teaching. You start teaching by one-on-one, explaining the principles of the Word of God that you know, listening to others, taking the Word in, and then explaining it out. And this is how you begin to develop some things. And after a while, people are going to be observed. So you look at how that person can go along and they can teach the stuff that they've been learning. And you, you need to be competent to teach. One of the things about being competent to teach is you need to hear what other people are teaching and then go study it for yourself and make it your own. There's nothing worse than when a person doesn't study it themselves and just goes back and reteaches this thing. They don't know what they're teaching. You know, I saw this at work at best when we were over the Philippines. We taught them some things that we you know we taught you all here on uh, parables and some uh, other other stuff like that, teaching them some things on leadership. And uh, just about every one of them went back to their church that Sunday and began to teach it. And they came on back and I talked to them and they told me some of the things I taught. And I thought, dear Lord, you didn't get it at all. <laughs> they didn't go back and take the time to study it out and make it their own. And when you try and teach something that you haven't made your own, you haven't studied out and you haven't made it your own, it comes across as 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 not genuine. You're not competent to teach that thing. You've got to get in there and you've got to get hold of it. You've got to understand what's going on. And not everybody wants to do that. Sometimes we just like to spout some things off. And that's, that's not competent to teach. He's talking about able and competent. You take what you hear, you study it, you make it your own, and then you go out there and you, and you, you do it yourself. How many have ever had a teacher that was not competent to teach? I mean, college is full of them. I don't know why colleges seem to have it, but uh, we had some. You know, my, my, when I was at college, I thought my favorite subject of all the ones that they were going to teach out there was going to be economics. Because I, I knew before I even got in there, I loved economics. I still, to this day, love economics. I love studying about economics. I love how an economy works, how all, all the different things uh, uh, function and impact each other. And we had a guy who was a high-up government guy in economics. And he couldn't teach worth a thing. And he made what I thought was the most interesting topic boring in class. It was a bore. I couldn't wait to get out of the classroom. Love reading the book. I'd actually have more fun reading the textbook and studying the textbook than I had getting in the class. The person was not very competent in the area of teaching. They may have been very knowledgeable I don't, I'm not trying to test whether they were knowledgeable in the thing at all, but they were not capable of teaching that. Some people are just better at, at uh, 
taking what they know and communicating it in a way that you can understand it. And that's what he's talking about here. Find those people that are able and that are competent to teach. And you can develop that in yourself. You, and it takes some time. You have, to, you have to work at it. You have to listen to how you're, you're explaining it to people. You've got to look at, well, all right, what did, what did you hear me say? You want them to sound back on you? Help me out in this thing. Am I explaining this right? And you, you want to develop yourself as well as you're helping the other people. But able to teach. Competent to teach. This, if, if you're going to have an overseer, they may not be in a formal teacher position, but if you're going to oversee people, you're going to have to teach them some things. And you need to be capable and able to do it. Not given to wine. Now, that's kind of a general statement right there. Not given to wine. It doesn't say that you can't ever drink. It just says you're not given to it. You're not one that um, it, it drinks a whole lot. Now, I made a decision. I don't drink at all. Now, part of that is I don't want people to go out there and say, well, you know, he was out there having this or drinking that or whatever it is. Now, the second reason is I can't stand the stuff. So I made the first decision real easy. <laughs> I just can't stand the smell of the stuff. I don't care whether it's wine. I don't care whether it's uh, especially beer. Beer, I cannot stand this. Oh, just the very, being in the same room with beer just irritates me to no end. Just the smell. I don't like the smell. Uh, I don't like the smell of wine. I can, I'll cook with it, but I'll hold my nose when I first put it in there <laughs> until we get it all cooked out. I got all that junk cooked, cooked, all that alcohol gone. And the stronger stuff, I don't even know what that would be like. I haven't been around that a whole lot. Thank God for, the, for that. I just don't like the stuff. So it's real easy for me to not be given the wine. It's real easy not to give yourself to something you can't stand. You know, it would be like me saying, I'm not given to asparagus. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, that's real easy to do because I don't like asparagus. You can put cheese on it. I still don't like it. You know, and everything's better with cheese, but not asparagus. I can't stand asparagus in any way, shape, or form. There's, just certain t- there's a certain thing that I taste. I, I don't like it. It's almost like cooked cabbage to me. Not quite to the level of cooked cabbage. Cooked cabbage is by far the most detestable thing in my palate that there is. I love it raw. Give me raw cabbage. Don't cook it. Any kind of cabbage leaf. I just don't like it cooked. But uh, not given the wine. This is harder on a person who likes it. Now, my wife comes in from a, a, a family where wine is part of their traditions. I came from a family where wine is not part of our traditions. So this is not, not hard for me at all. But, you know, you get into those situations and they, have, they do a lot of toast and things like that. With wine, and they almost get offended if you don't have it. I tried a few times to try to do a little sip. Oh man, I cannot even sip this stuff. Oh, and it just can't even do that. So they just have to. You just got to put up with the fact that I cannot. I'll, I'll give me some of that sparkling cider stuff. I'll toast away with that. I'm okay with that. I can toast all day long with sparkling cider. You know, or just if you want, give me you know, a, a, a sprite. It looks kind of like wine on there. Or what's that? Uh, raspberry uh, ginger ale. I mean, I can't even tolerate that. That kind of looks like a little wineish type of thing. Um, but I just can't, uh, can't get in. But this is harder for people who enjoy it. He's saying not given to it. Doesn't mean that you can never partake of it. Doesn't mean that if you do, you're missing God. He's not saying that. He's talking about as far as overseeing other people, don't be given to it. If you are given to it, you become under the influence of it and almost to the point of being drunk by it. And that's what he's talking about. Don't get to that place because then you are compromised. We go back to all those other words we were talking about. An outside influence is coming in and is, it is causing you to not have proper judgment or not con- the right kind of control over your behavior. And he says, no, you can't do that. You can't have it that way. Not violent. Uh, a smiter. Uh, quarrelsome or one who strikes. Uh, he's saying, but don't get in there. How many have ever seen people and they start to get upset and irate? And they, they, they start to hit. That's kind of their thing of doing it. You know, Lamar and I, we have a couple of guys out there in the hockey field. They get upset. They, they go to hitting. And we look at each other like, why? <laughs> We're out here having fun. We're playing hockey. And we've had to get in the middle of, you know, break some people up. They want to, you know, they want to fight it out. It's like, this is, this is supposed to be fun. We're having a good time. But some people are just taking that way. They're just violent by nature. 
And if something doesn't go their way, they want to, you know, bust some heads. And and for some of us, it's foreign. We don't understand it. But for some people, they grew up in more of a violent atmosphere, especially if they grew up with abusive parents. They learn this kind of, and it's harder for them to do that, but it's still something that you have to do. If you're going to be an overseer, you can't be to the point where people are going to think you're going to take a shot at them. That's not a, not a place that you can be. You can't go right to being quarrelsome. You have to have a, a, a control over yourself and not be, um, not be this way, not be given into this. Uh, not one who, who strikes. And you would think, well, that seems to be an obvious thing. I don't think a Christian should be that way anyway. And certainly a Christian should not be that way, but I don't know. Somehow we get them in there. Now, let's, now temper this too. Understand that doesn't mean that you need to be a pushover. That doesn't mean you can't ever stand up for yourself on, on some things or stand up for some principles that need to be stood up for. Jesus, once again, he stood up in the temple and he turned over stuff and probably pushed some people and, you know, he, he probably did some, uh, some stuff like that. And sometimes you have to do it. I have run into people in the world and the only way they have any respect for you is if you can occasionally get in their face and say, you will not be doing that right now. And you have to have to do that. I'm not giving, I'm not going to hit them. But I, I'm going to have to get in their get in their face and let them know, you know, you're not pushing us around, because sometimes I get this idea that Christians are wimps, and they can be pushed around. I've had a, a number of people that I was able to minister to and got through to them simply because I wouldn't let them push me, and I pushed back, and and they respected that. But I pushed back in such a way that I was they were they didn't feel threatened, they didn't feel like I was going to knock them over or hit them. Or anything like that. I'm not the biggest guy in the world anyway. But um, that's not what we are, are, are given to. Not, uh, not violent. We are not moved into violent meat. Violence does not over, overcome that. That being said, God still went out there and sent the army. Go out there and kill them. <laughs> I want you to go out there and take them out. They need to go. So there are, there's a time that God just says, all right, that's it. We've, uh, we've done all we need. You need to go out there and, and impose our will upon those people. And that will, will come about. But we're, we're talking about generally. When you're overseeing people, you can't get this done in a violent way. You know, and, and this, this gets modeled down right from the uh, husbands should never be violent with their wives. There should never be a cause for that. Because if we get into that, we're passing on to our, our children that this is how you resolve things. And they learn it. And again, the other way should be too. Wives should not be violent with their husbands because sometimes you get a husband and they're not going to hit a woman and sometimes the, the wife is out there and they're constantly beating on the husband. That has happened. That does go on. Everyone, You'd be surprised at how many times it does go on. But um, this, this is not a thing that we shouldn't pass this on to our kids. So not violent. Then he goes on and says, not greedy for money. Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so he said, you cannot, don't get those people that are so greedy for money, they got a love for money. Because if they got a love for money and you get them into the church, you get them into overseeing, that love of money is going to corrupt them. They're going to have some problems. You got to pick out those people, and when they have that love of money, they don't get that under control, they don't get in this position. That's what he's saying. It does not mean you don't earn money. It doesn't mean that you don't like to save money. It doesn't mean that you like, don't like to make more money. It's not talking about that. It's talking about an overwhelming love of money to the point that you hoard it. You won't give it to anyone else. You it become like Judas. Judas at the end had a love for money. When he saw the anointing being done to Jesus, he got indignant. And that's what he said. You can't, you can't get that in you. You get that mindset in you, it's, it's going to affect what, uh, what you're allowed to be done for God. Not greedy for money because you're going to get that love of money in and that's going to be the root of all kinds of evil. And then he goes into the, in this verse, the one positive thing he has to say, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. <laughs> and then not quarrelsome, not covetous. <laughs> so we got this one little positive trait sandwiched amongst all these negative ones. But he says gentle here, mild, gentle, moderation, patient, and peaceable. You need to be gentle. You can be gentle. And still be firm. Jesus was very gentle. And he rose up as the, the need was there. But he started out very gentle, very, very peaceable. And if people didn't respond in a certain way, people came aggressively after those 
uh, people that he was trying to minister to, like the Pharisees did, well, he would rise up and be firm with them. And so he, but you start off being gentle. You come on in, you, you, you be a, you be gentle in, in your situation. You're handling that. Mild, gentle, moderation, patient, peaceable. He says, not quarrelsome, one given to fighting. So he said before, he said, not violent, not a striker, not one who's going to come in there and hit, but also don't be one who's, who's always starting quarrels, always starting fights. Blessed are the peacemakers, the people who can find situations to, to bring peace. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be one given to fighting. Verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So he's saying, look at, that, look at their household. We already established, you know, husband of one wife, there's a, if husband of one wife, there's going to be a household there. If uh, they're not husband of one wife, then, you know, again, you can go with whichever way I guess you want to, and I have my way of going with it. But if there is a household, if there is a, uh, a, a children involved, how are the kids? How is the household going on? doesn't mean that the kids are perfect angels. You know, the, the kids being perfect angels or not being perfect angels is not always a bad reflection on the parent. There are some children that are more adventuresome than others. And that adventuresome spirit is going to do some things, and, but they're, they're also going to be the folks that are the, uh, the ones that are going to be movers and shakers more. They're going to be the ones that go out. You know, the, the kids that, that were always in investigating, always getting out and getting themselves almost into trouble are also the ones that would go out and take risks. They're the ones who would go out and, and um, uh, try new things or move out and do stuff because they weren't afraid. And so it, just because this, person, this kid's adventuresome doesn't mean that the parent isn't ruling them well. That has nothing to do with it. You know, I was an extremely adventuresome kid. My problem was I had no fear at all. I didn't fear anything. And my parents, my mom would tell me that all the time. You have no fear. of. I would get in a high tree. I never thought for a moment I would fall out of it. I'd just go up higher. I would go back in some of the wildest terrain. I never thought for a moment there might be some wild animal or some snake or some thing coming out. Never thought about it. Just go. When I was real little, I would just go on down the beach. I never thought, what if I can't find my parents? What if they can't find me? Never thought of it at the time. I was out in the raft, drifted way out to where the, the lifeguard's whistle would not even affect me. Talking with a buddy of mine. We were just having fun. We saw, well, I got probably out a little bit too far, so we started paddling on in. Never thought for a moment we were in any danger. I don't know why everybody else got all upset. But, you know, mess with them. <laughs> mess with them quite a bit. But, you know, that wasn't a reflection on my parents. That was a reflection on me. And I gave them a lot to deal with. My brother didn't give them so much to deal with. He was, uh, uh, which is good probably because probably wore them out. <laughs> but you want to look at the household. How is the, the how, not necessarily the behavior. You know, when they, when they act up, how are they towards them? Do they lose their temper? Are they overly uh, involved, overly punishing? Uh, is, is their language toward them abusive, harsh? How are they? To, how is the husband towards the wife? Does the husband serve the wife? Does the husband just kind of do his own thing and let his wife do his own her own thing? Uh, the household needs to rule well. The husband is supposed to be the example of of uh, Jesus over the church. And so the husband is supposed to do the same things for the wife in that situation. So in that, in that place, how is that husband demonstrating that? How is the wife demonstrating her role towards the husband and towards the kids? Are these things going on? And that's what you look at. You don't necessarily look at, are they perfect angel kids? You look at how that whole thing, because you know, troublesome times are going to come in. And some kids are going to give you more troublesome th- trouble than others. That's not the that's not the thing that tells you whether they're 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 good or not. You know, if, if Max is unruly, that, that doesn't mean necessarily that you did anything wrong. He's just he, he's got a little bit more of a venturesome spirit in him, and and that's all right. That's that's if, if you got some kids that talk back a little bit more than others, well, that doesn't mean that the parents aren't dealing with it. You look at how is mom and dad dealing with it. But sometimes we feel like I got to cover all these things up. You don't have to cover these things up in order to meet the, meet the qualifications. He's not saying that your house is perfect. 
He's not saying that everybody is, in, is, is just going along. It's when trouble comes in. How are you handling it? One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. There still needs to be a... a the children are going to reverence the right kind of people. They may still be having some little bit of rebellion in them. They may still be having some adventuresome. They still may be feeling their uh, what's, what levels of freedom they can have in there. But you can tell by looking at them, do they respect the parents? And how are they going to respect them? Well, give them something to respect. Be consistent yourselves. Honor each other. These kind of things. Let them know that, you're, that you guys are, 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 are tied together. That's the kind of thing. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? I've told you over and over again, my qualifications for a president haven't wavered. They are rule something large. Ruling a household does not qualify you for a president, but it does for a bishop. <laughs> All right, But we're not qualifying presidents in this verse. A president needs to run something big. If you're going to run this country, you need to run something big. The worst presidents we have had are people who have not run anything big. The reason we have a president in there right now who's having trouble with stuff because he has never had to run anything big. You need to be running something big if you're going to run this country. And the only you can't run this country as a, to get yourself ready, so you've got to go out there and run a, 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 a state a large city, a large corporation. They're about the only three things I know of. A senator does not qualify a president. General, maybe. You're running an army. I'll, maybe, I'll, I'll put that in there. But we've had some bad presidents as generals. Maybe they think that everybody in politics ought to respond the way that the uh, lieutenants and captains do. It doesn't quite work that way. But, you know, that, those are my qualifications for a president. I want to see somebody who has run something. To me, the people that have done the worst job in our presidency are people who have not had the practice to run something large. Because it is not, I am not qualified to be president. Probably most of us here are not qualified to be president. Doesn't mean we don't have the right ideas or the right right viewpoints or anything like that. It just means we haven't run anything big. And that can't be the learning ground. You can't learn there. We have a president right now who, like the predecessor, is throwing money at problems. And so we ended up being six more trillion dollars in debt out of this. You can't throw money at problems. You don't solve problems by throwing money at them. You, you solve problems by throwing ingenuity at them, by thinking, by coming up with, with, with solutions, with ways to, to fix it. I forget what road it was. There was some road. I'm thinking it was either Hawaii or Florida. It was wiped out after a storm. I, I remember years ago, I told you the story about it. But the government came in and they told them it was going to be, I believe, six months to a year to fix the road. The road completely cut off the community, and it was a tourist community, completely cut off the community from the outside. And no tourist could get in, which means every single business was not going to be out of business because no tourist could get into the community. None. The road was wiped out. And so they said it was going to cost, I, I believe, several million dollars. Uh, I forget exactly how many. It was, a, it was a lot of million dollars. And six months to a year to get the road back. Well, I was going to take them out of the season. Many businesses were going to be gone. They could not stand for that. So they decided we need to take this on ourselves. They went around to all the businesses, and they collected money from each one of them. And I think it was some kind of a – it was drastically under $100,000, maybe something like $50,000. They fixed the road in two weeks. Now, two weeks, less money – compared to six months to a year and millions of dollars. You cannot fix problems by throwing money at them. We have thrown money at the poor. Have we fixed the problem? We have thrown money at education. Have we fixed the problem? We have thrown money at transportation. Have we fixed the problem? We haven't fixed the problem. You can't fix problems by throwing money at it. But when you get somebody who is inexperienced at handling large things, that's what they do. They throw money at the situation. Now, President Bush had some experience running a large state. I don't know what the, well, his, his, his philosophy is, was different. I didn't go with that, that sort of thing. But he threw a lot of money. He spent a lot of money as a president. This one has spent even more money as a president. You can't solve problems by throwing money at them. Ingenuity is what you need. The best, the best fixes sometimes are the free ones. Ones that don't cost any money. 
but you get people thinking. You get people to come up with how we can how we can do it, how we can solve the thing. But here, in order to be an overseer, you don't have to run anything large. You don't have to run a large corporation like that. You just got to run your household well. That's all. Doesn't say how many kids. Doesn't say there has to be at least five kids. It just says whatever's in your household, one, two, five, ten, whatever, run it well. If you can't, he's saying, if you can't run your household well, you can't be an overseer and be effective. He doesn't doesn't qualify by how big the household is. He's just saying this. If they run the household well, they got a shot of being a good overseer. If they don't run the household well, they don't have a shot at being a good overseer. It's just not going to work. One who rules his own house well. Verse 6, not a novice. No matter how qualified a novice is, and we've got some novices that are very qualified in the business world, have overseen all sorts of projects, overseen all sorts of people, and they get born again. Oh, you are an overseer. Let's bring you in. And he's saying, no, <laughs> no. They may meet all the other qualifications. Their household may be in order. They may have all the right personality traits, all the right behavioral traits, all the right qualifications. But if they are a novice, they are disqualified. Disqualified. They are a novice. You need to give them some time. Let them get involved in, in the things of God. Let them learn the things of God. They know how to do things in the world. They need to learn how to do things in the church because it's different. So he says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Well, the devil fell into pride, and he's got condemnation coming because of it. He's saying, if you take a novice, they got all these good qualifications, you're a novice, put them in that position, they're, puffed, they're going to be puffed up with pride. Well, yeah, but if I tell this person who's this, this, that, and the other thing in the business world that they can't be an overseer in the church, they're going to be bothered, they may even leave. <laughs> what not... A novice. So he's very clear about that. And the word is very clear in the Greek. Not someone who is new to the church. Not someone who just got born again. Not a novice. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. In other words, he's got to have a good testimony with unsaved people. How is that going to qualify you? Because unsaved people spot hypocrites in the church, don't they? (laughs) <laughs> They're pretty good at that. So what he's saying is, you need to be able to conduct yourselves in such a way in the world that the world steps back and respects you and says, wow, what you got going on with God is effective. And I respect that. He says, if you got people in the world that are willing to respect this person, you got somebody there. He must have a good testimony with those that are outside the church. Beyond those that are inside the church, you got to go out there and find out some, some worldly people. You got to go out to some people. Hey, do you know, Joe? Are you unsaved? <laughs> Good. I need some, I need you. <laughs> I need to ask you some questions. <laughs> what do you think of Joe? What do you think? How do you, what do you think about him? And, uh, you begin to talk to him about it. And so in order to find out how they are with the outside, we actually got to go out there and talk to people who know so and so that are outside the church. He says, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So before it was the condemnation, but now it's the snare of the devil. There's a, there's a certain thing that caught the devil. There's a snare that's, that snagged him. And he's saying, you don't want them to be in the same place. So talk to people that are out in the world and find out. Is this person okay? What do you think about this person? Don't ask him about, you know, what do you think of the doctrine of Joe? You think his doctrine is pretty sound? You think he's a good teacher of the word? They're not going to be able to judge that. He did, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. What he's saying is, do you know Joe? What do you think about his, uh, his Christian walk? Well, I'm not a Christian myself, but I'll tell you what. I've met a lot of Christians and I like Joe. He's a good guy. We don't agree on going to church and we don't agree on God and stuff like that. But you know what? He's a good guy. That's what you're looking for. For, for people, because you've got these Christians who are out there make themselves obnoxious to the world. And he said, if you're going to do that, there's, there's something wrong. Don't put them in an overseer position. They're not ready for that. that. Out in the world, the world has to be able to look at these people and say, you know what? These are okay people. <laughs> all right, they're Christians and all that, but you know what? They're okay people. 
There may be qualifications for overseers, but if God wants these qualities in those that are leaders, wouldn't he also want them for all of us that are called by his name? Maybe you don't desire to be an overseer. But these are some things that God says he looks for, which means these are things that God must like. If we want to please our God, these are qualities we ought to be taking on ourselves. Nope, there was no more room in there. You may see that. It made mine, though, because I have more room on mine than you have on yours. <laughs> the, these may be qualifications for overseers, but if God wants these quali- qualities in those that are leaders, wouldn't he also want them for all those who are called by his name? I'll put that right on up here. You can just take a look at it if you, if, if you want to. We're called by the name of God. We're in his family. These are things that are listed as important. I may not understand all the reasons why they're important, But what I do know is my father thinks they're important, that he passed them on to Paul, and Paul passed them on to Timothy, and it stayed around in the Word of God so that we could keep on reading them, which means these are some important qualifications. And even if I don't ever become an overseer of people, one who sees over, watches over any group of people, I can still develop these qualities inside my own life, and I become more like what he wants. Because my goal here on this earth is to become the kind of person that my God wants me to be. The kind of person my God desires all of us to be. That's what I want to become. And you know what? Doggone if I can't. I can't. It is possible. Maybe I can look at some of these things and say, wow, I'm not sure if I could do this. But you know what? Through Christ, I can do all things. Even stuff like this. Even change the way that my personality is, change the way my behavior is. I can change. I can change my conduct amongst people. I can become less of something and more of something else. All I have to do is determine I'm going to do this. All I need to do is have the desire. Word of God says, "Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, <laughs> even when you pray, you have to have a desire for it." Because there are going to be some things that come against you. Have a desire for these things. Just take it on. Father God, I, I want to be what this kind of a person is. And God will help us to get to that place. Father, we thank you for the qualifications and directives you give us. Teaching us how we can be an overseer. What qualities that we should look for. We can become these things. These things can become part of our life. We ever look at these and say, well, I can never do that. We lie to ourselves because we can't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to become all that we need to become. Our emotions don't ever have to rule us. What comes from the outside doesn't have to gain ascendancy over us. But Father, we can rule over all things, including this body of ours. I thank you for the help that you give us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.